0: I'm going to have your notes open Abby to be honest with you um there's just going to be three simple truths that we're going to talk about um but what I'd like to do is I'd like to be able to take this session and I'm going to take the entire marriage relationship all the different nuances in communication I'm going to take all of those and I'm going to put them off to the side right now gentlemen I just want to preach to us as men. I want to be able to help us individually so we can be the Christian we need to be. If we're the Christian we need to be, we'll have the capacity to be the mate that we need to be. We've got to be the Christian we need to be. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. You know it. I'm just going to read it quickly. Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let's run with patience the race that is set before us. The sin which does so easily beset us. Sometimes that's different for each person. I believe every Christian, every individual has a sin which is besetting to them. Uh, they are, they've grown up with a background. They have a past. There's, sometimes there's emotional baggage. Sometimes there is issues that they were brought up in their family as a child. Um, there's all types of things. And there will be particular a sin in an area that can be our besetting sin. Let's talk about some of the things that happened to different people there in the Bible. And let's see what the Lord may speak to us now this afternoon. In Joshua chapter 7, the, the nation of Israel had just won the incredible victory of Jericho. Do you remember Jericho? How did the nation of Israel win the battle of Jericho? Did they win it by their strong brute force? Did they scale the walls? Did they you know attack the ramparts? What did they do? They walked around it. Simply walked around it. in the seventh day, they walked around it. What, what did they do? How did they win? They were obedient. You see, there was someone that Joshua spoke to at the beginning. The captain of the Lord's host. <laughs> Remember, Joshua, he said, Hey, whose side are you on? No, not with his hand on the sword. Who are you? Whose side are you on? I like, the, I like what God incarnate said at that time. He didn't answer. I'm not on anyone's side. Are you on mine? I'm the captain of the Lord's hosts. Here's some things we need to do. And this is how you're going to win. You can do whatever you want to do, but this is how you're going to win. We're also very familiar with the battle that happened right after Jericho. What was that battle? AI. Did they win? No. What was the problem? Sin. Sin was in the camp. After the battle, men were killed. Can you imagine the the trauma? After such a great, amazing victory, and then to have such an incredible defeat over something that Even even Joshua said, we're not going to trouble all the people. We'll just send a few. And all of a sudden, to have that happen. Joshua is on his face before God. Sad he wasn't there before the battle of Ai. You see, before the battle of Jericho, he consult with the captain of the Lord's host. Before the battle of Ai, you see no consultation. You see no altar. You see nothing. You see a few spies going out, overlooking at it. Oh, hey, if we did this one, we can handle this one. So that's a whole other sermon in and of itself. He's on his face. And God says, Joshua, Joshua, get the There's sin in the camp. God cannot go against his word. The Bible says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. God says, Joshua, I want you to get up. I can't hear your prayers right now. There's sin in the camp. Up. Here's the answer. Sanctify The people. We got to get it sorted out. I can't help to think that this is the reason why many times we do not have personal revival. We are not the man that we need to be. Why we do not have revival in our churches. Why we don't see this a great movement coming across America as we've seen in years past. Because there's sin in the camp. We can have all the prayer meetings we want. We can want and we can cry out. But if God, like He did to Joshua, there's a problem. God could be saying, Get you up. I can't hear your prayers right now. There's sin. In the camp, there's iniquity. Up, sanctify, purify yourselves. We all must be careful because we individually, you, I, individually, can be a cause or the reason why God is not doing something mighty in our midst. What was the cause of Ai? What was the sin in the camp? What was the cause of all those people dying and the entire battle that was lost and the entire nation of Israel in mourning? What was the cause? One man. I'm going to give you some three truths Three illustrations and then some practical applications for us now. Pastor, what time do we need to be done? 1.30? About quarter to one right now. Okay. Number one, I would like to say, and that's also number one in your in your notes there. Sin is never manageable. Sin is never manageable. Let me tell you, we try to manage so much in our lives. We try to manage our budget. We manage our schedules. Some of us even try to manage our debt. And so many things are led to believe that we can manage the so-called little sins in our life. Let me tell you, Satan is a liar, as I've already mentioned, and the father of lies. It is impossible for us to manage or control sin. It always controls us. You see so many illustrations in Scripture. I think the the most obvious is the man, the judge, Samson. I think that's one of the most obvious. Samson, the Bible says, was an incredibly spirit-controlled, spirit-filled man. Of course, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit did not constantly dwell with believers at that time. He would come upon them at special times. By the way, that's something that we need to realize right now at this point and at this dispensation where God has dealing with us right now. I believe, and I honestly believe this, when we're in heaven, we're going to receive a greater condemnation because there's two things that the Old Testament Christians did not have that we have today that we do not utilize. And the first thing is the power of prayer. You can go directly I have direct access to the Father. And number two, the presence of the Holy Spirit. But if you count it up, the, uh, Samson was an incredibly spirit-filled man at special times in his life. The Bible says spirit, spirit came upon Samson, spirit came upon Samson. If you count that up, actually the Bible mentions that the spirit of the Lord came upon Samson more than other, other any other single person in the scripture. Hmm. But we all know the story of Samson. Samson somehow got to a point where he thought he could manage his sin. And no doubt he could at the beginning. He could manage it. He can, he can get with the wrong, he had a lady problem. He can get on with the wrong relationships and he can somehow manage it. And it wouldn't necessarily affect him. And God would still use him from time to time. He would still go out and he could be able to do something mighty for God, even though he knew that was some problems in his life, but he could manage it. Sin always controls. Satan will probably put that little hook inside of us that we think could think for some reason, no matter what it is in our life, no matter what sin that could be our besetting sin, no matter what can happen, we can many times begin us to thinking that we could somehow manage it. It's okay. He's got that little hook in us and we don't realize that he's reeling us in. We think we can manage it. It's never manageable until finally, Samson, we see that one day. The Bible says he wist not that the Lord was departed. I'm sure many times Samson may have told him that he was okay, that he was in control. But no. We see at the end of Samson's life, yes, God did help and God did use him once again. Thank God for the second chances. Amen. Third chances, four chances. <laughs> yeah. But let me tell you, sin always limits. When God did use Samson at the end, Samson was bound. He was blinded. He couldn't do anything, but God gave him power just one more time and it was his Power that ended up taking his life. One more last. What a wasted life. Let me say that one more way, but in a different way. What a wasted potential. The sad thing is I believe Satan can be able to see potential much more than we can in ourselves. Satan can be able to see you he can be able to see your life, he can see your marriage, he can be able to see what God has equipped you with, what God has empowered with, what God, who God has teamed you up with, and he can be able to say, hey, you know what? If this couple, if this guy, if he really gets caught on fire for God, hey, you know what? Satan says, whoa, oh, this guy can be able to do something for God. I'm gonna do all that I can to mess him up. And you're gonna have this big target up between your shoulder blades. And he's going to do all he can to be able to trip you. He's going to try to get you to fall in sin. He's going to try to cripple your, your potential and it'll cause you to lose your potential and therefore your effectiveness for the cause of Christ. Oh my. Sin is never manageable. Next, sin always affects others. Sin always affects others. I'm going somewhere with this. Another line of Satan is that, and it's a lie, you can be involved in a upsetting sin and somehow you feel it is only affects me. It's okay. It only involves me. Oh no, never. And as we see even together with the, with the life of Samson, there was always collateral damage. Always. Some of us are the result of collateral damage of sins of our parents, sins of our family, things that have, we have been affected by. Sid always affects others. He loves, Satan loves to take advantage of any failure to ruin as many lives as possible. One of the, once again, another very, very clear illustration is Lot. Remember Lot, Abraham's nephew? Remember the story about there was dispute between their servants and so Abraham said, choose you one way, and I'll choose the other. And And what did Lot do? He lifted up his eyes and looked upon the plains of Jordan and, hey, this is a no-brainer. Chose himself the plains of Jordan, which ultimately was leading towards, his tent was pitched toward a very wicked place. What was it? Sodom. Sodom. Yeah. Second Peter chapter two calls Lot a vexed man, just man, Christian man, but he was vexed. He was tormented by all. But you know what? He chose to be there. He chose. He chose personal prosperity. He chose materialism of the world. He made a sinful choice. But I'm going to propose something that you may not have heard anywhere else. Let's pre- suppose that Lot could handle the wickedness of Sodom. He wasn't affected. He was vexed by it. He was bothered by it. But he didn't openly participate in it. But he was bothered by it. He was vexed by it. But, but you know, he could handle it. I can handle this. It's all right. Maybe he could. Let's just say, what if? Let's say he say he could. He could. Uh, he could handle the wicked culture, but the problem is, his family could not. Lot lost his family in one of the greatest judgments of God. Why? He allowed the world and allowed their influence into his home. And you know what? Maybe he could handle it. Maybe he could to the wickedness. But he did succumb to their philosophy. Mm-hmm. And later lost his family. Imagine the regret in his after the judgment. I thought about that. Lot had four daughters. I have four daughters. Imagine the regret is in the cave. Wife is gone. First two daughters that were married, they're gone. Second daughters, second two daughters, they were wicked. Yeah. Imagine the regret. Sin always affects others. Third principle. Sin's end result is always, answer the word, death. Quote the Bible verse. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth Yeah, yeah. We all know that. That's in James chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. Verse 16 actually have, has another interesting little phrase that comes out of it. It says, do not err, my beloved brethren. Yeah. The end result is always death. Yes it can bring about physical death. Thank God we cannot have the everlasting spiritual death, but it can actually bring us spiritual complete incapacitation. We're not we're, we've lost our effectiveness. Our testimony's gone. King Saul, I believe is another good example of this. Remember one of the first commandments that Samuel from the Lord told Saul to do. There was a wicked people group that was always afflicting the Israelites. And while they were going through the wilderness on those 40 years, it was that people group that was constantly coming around, and they would attack the hinder corners, corners of the group. That was the older people, the weak weak people, the people that were sick, and, and they would attack them and take advantage. And the Amalekites became a very, very hated group. God put his judgment on them many, many years before and pronounced judgment, I'm going to wipe you out. Israel now has their first king, Saul. Okay, time. By the way, aren't you glad that God is long-suffering and patient? Yeah. But you know what? Even his patience wears out. At some point, he will say, it is enough. It's judgment time. And it happened with the, with the Amalekites. Did Saul obey? Hmm? No, he did not. Yes, he did obey to a degree. He went out and he had great victory over the Amalekites. God gave it to him. Amen. Saul was simply an instrument of God, and he was the hand of God as God himself brought judgment on the Amalekites. But did Saul finish the job? No. No. What's the bleeding of the sheep? Huh? Oh, I brought those for sacrifice. So <laughs> boy, that was a quick one. <laughs> oh, the people are the ones that made that decision. Well, who's this big idiot standing here? Uh, oh, no, that's the king. Well, why'd you save him? Well, it was it was customary back then to, to use the enemy kings for sport, torture them, all kinds of things. No, God said, Samuel said, give me a sword, I'll take care of it. We find out later that there were many other people that were left alive. Saul Saul did not finish the job. Many times one particular battle doesn't finish it. You may claim one little victory and think you've got your sin taken care of, but no. Many times there's a a lot of, it's a result of a lot of victories in our life. It's not just one. Something's an ongoing thing. I'm going to read just, just briefly. If we fast forward to the end of Saul's life, some of you know the story. The end of Saul's life in chapter 15 of 1 Samuel. Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king of Israel. He said, I want you to go and smite them. Verse, all the way down to verse 9. But Saul spared, Paul and the people spared Agag, the best of the sheep, the oxen, and the fatlings. No other. If we fast forward now to the beginning of 1st, 2nd Samuel. Beginning of 2nd Samuel chapter 1. Now it's at the end of Saul's life. He's in his, last, his, in his final battle. Is the battle going good for him? No, he's gonna lose. As a matter of fact, it was prophesied you're gonna die in this battle, and so are your sons. Sure enough, takes take it's happening. He can see his own armies going, they're fleeing, they're retreating. And he does not want to be taken captive just like he had taken King Agag. He doesn't want to be tortured and be sport for the enemies of God. So he falls upon his own sword. Tries to commit suicide. Somehow it doesn't work, evidently. At least that's the story that's that's given in 2 Samuel. He sees an Israeli Soldier with a uniform, come by. Soldier! Yes. I'm the king. Yes, I know. I'm wounded. Finish me. Kill me. I don't want the enemy to capture me. I'm sure with a little bit of irony in his actions, he takes his sword out and he finishes it. Then he turns and he runs to king, next king, of David. He runs and he said, you're going to be king. Saul's dead. How do you know? I killed him. What's the story? He told him. Verse 13 of 2 Samuel verse 1, chapter 1. And David said unto the young man, it told him, Whence art thou? And he answered, I am the son of a stranger. Read the next two words. I'm an Amalekite. Wow. The very thing that Saul thought he could get away with. The very sin that he thought he could manage, that he could be able to handle, or he can be able to do in his own way, end up being the sin that actually ended up taking his life. Irony is incredible there. Sin's result is always death. Be not deceived. God is no. Not always is it physical death, but quite often is the death of potential. It's the death of joy. It's the death of blessings and rewards. How much potential has been destroyed by the deceitfulness of sin? Is there sin in the camp? Let me get into some practical applications here. How can we have victory over sin? Well, the answer is, we already have it. Amen. It was given to us uh, through Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8, by the way, is very, very clear on that. So why then do we not have victory? As I was counseling not too long ago with a, a man who was struggling in sin and He never seemed to have victory over it. So what's the problem? And he says these words, I guess I just don't want it bad enough. And you know what? Many times that is the case. We just don't want victory bad enough. We do not use the resources that God has given to us. We have, as we've already mentioned, I don't want to be redundant, but we've already talked about the, the armor that we need to put on. We've talked about sin in general. Now I'm going to be a little bit specific. The title here that I gave this session is The Sin Which So Easily Besets Us. They've talked about it. Marriage Flame Quenchers. Oh, this is a biggie. Yeah. Yeah. What's the sin in your life that's besetting? Could it be the abominable sins in God's eyes, such as pride? (laughs) We don't think of that as bad. But could it be pride? Could it be a lying tongue? Could it be anger? Although I will say, though, through my experience of counseling over the last several years, I would have to say the besetting sin for many of us men is in the area of moral purity. Purity of eyes, mind, and heart. Although we would say we would never necessarily engage in wrong physical impurity, although some have. And God has given grace and help, and God will. But many times it's the sins of moral purity against our eyes, our mind, and our heart. Once again, God has already provided victory, but how do we do our part? The answer, to be honest with you, is very simple. But it's very hard to live out. Have you noticed that really the the spiritual walk is very simplistic? God, and, and by the way, we need to thank God for that. Thank God, salvation is free and it's simple, easy to understand. The spiritual life is really very, very simplistic. We're the ones that make it very, very complicated. Uh, do you mean we really need to do I I don't necessarily see thou shalt not on that one okay well I don't know about this and we start making it all complex remember the Pharisees they had such a complex system how many steps you could be able to take on the Sabbath day and all of this They start adding laws and the legalistic all the issues that are there when the truth is the Bible is we need to live the Christian life the fact is we don't do it to me the answer is, especially in the area of moral purity, to starve the flesh and feed the spirit. Starve the flesh and feed the spirit. It, it sounds easy, but it's hard to do on a regular basis. With God's help, we can. By the way, with God's help, we must. We must be men of moral integrity. And nothing, nothing will destroy a marriage. Nothing will destroy the relationship between you and your wife. Nothing will, see there's no way a woman will ever understand and be able to rationalize moral impurity with her man. That is such an absolute, complete violation of the love that is supposed to be there. How could that even be possible? It does not resonate. We know the illustration of the two dogs. You remember that? You know, you know, I'm sure sometimes pastors like to overuse a lot of illustrations. You know, you know the illustration? What is it? We have, have two dogs, and they're always fighting. And uh, which is the dog that wins? Is the dog that what? The one that you feed the most. Yeah. It's an overused illustration, but oh, how true it really is. How do we starve the flesh? How do we starve it? Titus chapter two says, by denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. How do we starve? How do we starve the flesh? There's many different ways, and I don't want want to necessarily come across as I've got it all taken care of, I've got it all covered, and I'm going to take care of all these things, and you just put this little recipe in a little jar, stir it up, and drink it, and hey, you got it. No. But one of the main areas that we can starve it is how it comes in. We need to guard our eyes. There's plenty of things that we can deny access through our eyes. We know the verse there in Psalms 101. I will set no what before mine eyes. Realize the second part of that verse. I hate the work of him that turn aside. It shall not cleave unto me. The problem is is that we do not hate things bad enough. We do not hate the sin. We do not hate it. As a matter of fact, we kind of like it. And we kind of enjoy it. We don't hate it. We don't hate it for what it really is. For what it really does, oh, let me tell you—it's an addictive mess that you end up trying to deal with and trying to counsel with years and years, yeah, years later. It's a—it's a thing that hardly can ever can be completely overcome. It's a mess, By God's grace—it can. But let me tell you, oh, how we need to be careful. We need to deny and guard our eyes. We need to deny the ungodliness and worldly lusts, as the Bible says here. You know what? There's some things that we can live without. We need to be careful with our TV. We We don't need to go into detail. We don't need to give you illustrations. Every one of you know it. It's a mess. I'll be frank with you. Now, I'm not against it, but I do not own a TV. I'm not against TVs. I'm not one of them. All right. But I don't own one. Why? Is it because I can't manage it? No, I can But to me, it's a time waster. And what I end up doing is I'll end up sitting down and I end up watching something stupid or I'll end up regretting later or it'll be a total and absolute complete waste of my time. You know what? If it works for you, great. No problem. But for, for me, it doesn't. I want to guard. I want to guard. You know what? And this is some things that you can't live without. Just don't go to those areas. You know the stations, you know the programs, and you know the little f- shows that can show that. You know, you know all the things that I'm talking about that you can be able to appeal to the flesh and cause you to be able to get an emotional, ecstatic high. And boy, you watch it and it's good. Why well, it's interesting and all of that. And Satan says, got the hook in. It can't be manageable. It can't be managed. It will control you. It never affects just you. It affects everybody. And result is always death. Death of potential. Death of joy. Death of all the things I gave in my list before. just play a what-if. Let's say you can manage it. I doubt it. But what about your family? What about your son? What the influence on your daughters? What about your wife? I'm going to give you an incredible statement right now that I heard many, many years ago, and I've never forgotten it. Satan knows nothing of entertainment. All he knows is indoctrination. Satan does knows nothing of entertainment. All he knows is indoctrination. Let me tell you, He's waving something in front of you that you may think is entertaining, but you know what? He's indoctrinating you. He's desensitizing you. He is putting an agenda in you, an agenda in your wife, an agenda in your family, and causing them to be able to have a different kind of perspective, a different kind of worldview. And all of a sudden you wonder, why is my marriage going crazy? Why is my children going crazy? And why are their marriages going crazy? We have to be careful what we watch. TV. Movies. Alright? Hello, oh, go to a movie house? Oh, I don't do that anymore. I'm against it. Okay, great. What's, what's on the Netflix? Alright. Let me come on. My oh. right, DVD cabinet and you can look at all of those. Yeah. I don't know that bad stuff. Of course, we know, hardly anyone has a DVD cabinet anymore. <laughs> some of you have old VCR tapes okay, okay, wait, we need to get the next generation here but you know what all of that is live streamed the trash is so available untrackable Unreceived. Years ago, if you wanted to get into stuff like that, you had to go into one of these sleazy little places and they would stick stuff in between a magazine, uh, uh, take a magazine in between uh, the newspapers and you'd walk out with a rolled up. Oh, I got a newspaper. <laughs> you don't have to do that anymore. You can get it right here. It's accessible. Just because it's accessible doesn't mean it's right. The internet, books, magazines, all that can never be managed. We gotta guard our eyes. But you know what? There's some things that we cannot guard against because Satan will push things in front of you. Do you know what I'm talking about there? You can try to live a godly, honored life, and you can try to make sure you guard things and guard your eyes, making sure that you do not watch this or see this or come near this or all of that, but still, there's going to be stuff that's pushed in front of you. What are you going to do then? Bounce your eyes. Bounce your eyes. Satan's going to push stuff in front of you. He's going to push a billboard in front of you. He's going to have while well, you're at the mall, you're all of a sudden going to see one of those stores. Well, okay. Or are you going to have some 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 girls walking in front of you, and all of a sudden you're going to oh, well, we don't want to go there, right? Bounce your eyes, bounce your eyes immediately. And by the way, this will can can become an incredible, wonderful. Habit. Teach your eyes. The bouncing must be immediate. Gotta starve the flesh. Satan pushed something in front of you. You see something. All right. Immediately go away. The second look is the sin. Bounce it. Get it off. Must be immediate. Job chapter 31. I have made a covenant with my eyes. What for? Why? Why then should I think upon a maid? Same verse. Eyes thinking. We know that. But it's kind of a duh. The Bible has to put it in black and white, you know? And you know one thing? This is the oldest book in the Bible, the book of Job. So guess what? It's not a 21st century issue. <laughs> no. There's a direct connection between the eyes and the mind. Oh, how we need to be careful. We need to instill character in our eye in our life. Instill character and be people of integrity guard our eyes bounce our eyes number three control the mind control the mind we must renew our mind the Bible talks about that in Romans 12: 2 we know that second Corinthians 10 the Bible says and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ hey I think it's a very much of a, of a understood thing that the battleground for Christians is is the mind. That's why Satan is after the mind. He's after the control of the mind. He's after the control of your children. He's after their mind. He's after your wife's mind. He's after you because he knows if he can be able to control that, he's got all of you. We must win in our mind because the Bible says, for as he thinketh in his heart, what's the best of us say? So is he. Yeah. After we deny access to our eyes, which is the first step, we have to captivate every thought. Just simply say, Satan, we're not going to go there. We're not going to go there. Captivate every thought. How can we do that? Here's some things that I do. I have a memory verse that I use. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. What know ye not? Temples, your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with the price, and for glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. You know what? You have a thought that comes into you, and in there, and you'll think, where in the world did that come from? There's some things that you can build up, yeah, but there's also things that he will push there. Satan, we're not gonna go there. You have a Bible memory verse ready there. By the way, quoting a Bible memory verse saying that two things cannot go on in the mind at the same time. Most of we men, we can't multitask anyhow. That helps. Another thing that I do, and I do this more often, is once again, in in Ephesians chapter 5, the Bible talks about singing unto yourselves songs and hymns and spiritual songs. I have a song I sing every time. My Jesus, I love Thee. I know Thou art mine. For Thee, all the follies of sin, I resign And I go on and sing. I have found it is literally, physically impossible to have a wicked thought and sing that song at the same time. We've got to guard our eyes. We've got to bounce the things, bounce our eyes off the things that Satan pushes in front of us. By the way, don't you hate them? Don't you hate it? Especially when there's sin and there's guilt and, oh, why did I see that? Why did I look at that? Why did all that? And then you feel like, oh, wouldn't it be great one day when this body of flesh is gone? Yeah. Oh, trash and all of that is there, is gone. We've got to hate it. Problem is, we don't hate it enough. We've got to guard our eyes. We've got to bounce our eyes. We've got to control the mind. Have a memory verse. Have a song. By the way, singing, of course, is one of the steps of being filled with the Spirit. It's a wonderful thing. You've got to be able to do that. Once you starve the flesh, you've got to feed the Spirit. How do we do that? Well, you're in the right place right now. <laughs> and we all know, really, the areas and how we need to feed the feed the spirit. Okay, we know it. What what's the some ways that we do it? You can give me the outline right now, huh? Yep, Bible prayer in church. There you go. Daily devotions and prayer. How are we doing? How are we doing today? This morning. And we wonder why that we get tempted throughout the day. We wonder why temptation seems to have an inroad into us. Wonder why we end up falling and taking that second look. And then the third and the fourth. Not captivating every thought to the obedience of Christ. It's because the armor's not on. Second thing, daily surrendering your will to God. Daily surrendering, daily surrendering. You know, that's all part of that being that living, the living sacrifice. Remember that sacrifice of the Old Testament, it had to die. It was burned. Throat was slit at the beginning and then blood poured out, burned. But we are to be a living sacrifice. The problem is with the living sacrifice, the living sacrifice can get up and walk off. And that's what happens many times. We have surrendered one day at one time, at one service, at the end of a revival, or after a time, pastor preaches, and you're like, yes, this is what I need. And you go forward and you surrender that time. The problem is we got up and we walked off a few times. That's why we need to daily. Paul says, I die. Oh yeah, that's part of it. Surrendering our will to God. And of course, lastly, consistently walking in the spirit consistently walking in the spirit that's praying constantly dear God help me you know, you know if you we, we could be in a in a state of prayer Lord help me today now help me with this help me as I drive and just kind of have that in our mind you know once again Satan can't put something while there while we're talking to God it just it just doesn't work and he can try he can try but if we're not going to go there Satan knows but he's going to try walk in the spirit the bible says and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh i love that shell yeah, right. we we like the shall that for we shall call upon the name of the lord yeah. shall be saying hey we like that shall hey man that's good we know but you know what if we walk in the spirit ye shall not fulfill The lust of the flesh. What another, what a wonderful shall that is there. Oh, may God help us. The sin which so easily besets us. Very quickly. Victory is ours. We got to do our part. God does his part. Thank God for his faithfulness. Amen. Then we can get the ear of God as we pray for revival when we do our part. Is there sin in the camp? There's some things that we need to take care of. I'm going to lead in a word of prayer, and I'd just like for us to be quiet before God, just for a few minutes. Allow us to have a time of prayer, just quiet meditation, please. And then we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the reception now you've allowed me to give, and the men have responded so well. It's very easy, Father, to be able to ascertain that this church here truly loves you. They've, they're, They've been preached to very well. Father, you are doing a marvelous thing in our eyes here. We thank you for that. And I pray for the heart of each and every man that's here. Satan hates us. He wants to destroy us personally. He wants to destroy our testimony. He wants to destroy the church. He wants to destroy the church's testimony. He wants to do all he can to limit any type of productivity we can have. He wants to take the missionaries off the field. He wants to decrease the support and all of a sudden people have to come off the field and people aren't reached around the world. We've got to hate them. We've got to hate sin that many times easily besets us. Help us to be able to control in these areas, Father, through your power of your spirit just to realize it can never be managed it always affects others. there's always a death involved of some sort. I pray, Father, that you would help us today to claim the victory you've already provided and to live in that victory and live live in the power of your resurrection. In Jesus' name, Amen.